Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. We got a logo too. We've been working on one for 18 years, and, and we want everybody in the country to know, with all due respect, we got a logo too. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, happy Friday. Uh, is it? Is it Friday? Is it Thursday? Oh my, my day? gosh. Oh, this is, okay. Okay. This week has <laughs> gone by the slowest of the summer for me, for some reason. I thought yesterday was Wednesday. I think today, which is Thursday, is Friday. Where Before, obviously that's what's going on in my brain, but where do you stand on this? I was talking about this with my wife this week. Have you ever heard the phrase Friday Junior for Thursday? Huh. Uh, no, this is my first time. Apparently, people call Thursday Friday Junior, which makes no sense to me. My wife thinks it makes sense. I don't think it makes sense. It, obviously, the, the implication is, you know, Friday's the man and Thursday is kind of the, the son, the leading up to it. I don't... I hate that phrase, and now she's saying it every Thursday just to trigger me, and I wasn't sure if that was in your lexicon at home. That's fantastic. No, it's not. You you made me panic for a second um, because I have to be in Dallas tomorrow morning to get a, a passport. We leave. We're, we're going out of the country next week, and my passport expires, so I've got to get an urgent one, and I'm like, oh, my God, what day is it? Did I, did I get thrown off here? But, uh, no, it is very firmly Thursday, so if any news breaks Thursday night – uh, and the fact that Carson and I are recording makes that a little more likely than just know this was not recorded on Friday. Yeah, it was recorded on Don't Call Me Friday Junior. Is what I call. I used to call it Thirsty Thursday when we were up in Stillwater. That was kind of like the big party day. Uh, party yeah, night, I mean. Yeah, Thursday. What was it? Thirsty Thursday, Friday. I don't know. Sunday Fun Day. Which did did any of the other ones have any cool names, or was it just Thursday and Sunday? Uh, just 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 Thursday, I think. Thursday, oh, Thursday. Sunday, Sunday fun day I liked. Yeah, now it's it was Sunday fun day when you were in college. Now it's the Sunday scaries hit really hard with the work week approaching. And it's not quite as fun anymore. We're nearing Sunday, sit on the couch for 12 straight hours and consume football until your eyes are about to explode. I know, man. We're getting close. Uh, football season's rapidly approaching. We're into mid-August. Uh, fall camp's been well underway in Stillwater. We'll get to some notes from that. But first, let's hear from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. They've got some of those new jerseys in, Colby, that looks so sharp. They've kind of gone back to the throwback look. I'm starting to see those pop up online. So if you want the new jersey, be sure to stop by Chris's. They'll hook you up with the latest and greatest OSU apparel. Well, Colby, the uh, big things on the Big 12 front have certainly died down after adding the teams from the uh, Pac-12. But, um, you know, again, I mentioned this on the last show that Mike Gundy's really been one step ahead of the sport of college football, not just with conference realignment, which he certainly has dating back to 2010 when Texas and OU were flirting with the Pac-12 and all that. But even so, like little things, like I, I believe it was a few years ago, he he predicted that Big 12 defenses were going to start seriously adjusting to spread offenses. And lo and behold, the defenses have really punched back the last couple of years. Some of that's due to quarterback play, but you just look over the long haul of the Big 12, the defense has drastically improved over the last couple of years, and I think that's why he decided to bring in Brian Nardo with his 3-3-5, which I want to talk about an article uh, from that. But 
I say all that about Mike Gundy's uh, self-proclaimed Nostradamus status because he has another prediction for us, Colby. He tells Max Olson he suspects the future of college football is a 30-team mega conference. He says, essentially, they're going to pay big money, put it on TV, and those 30 schools are going to thrive. They're going to be rich. Their athletic departments are going to be rich, and their sports are going to thrive. And the other schools that don't make it, they're just going to hold on. I think that's eventually what's going to happen in college football because everything we do is driven by the television market. And I kind of think he's right, Colby. I, As much as there has changed with the Big Ten, the SEC, and now the Big 12, and who knows what's going to happen with the ACC and, and Pac-12, I think that's kind of where we're heading already. I mean, you got some some fat in there from the SEC and the Big Ten and and I think to a degree, the Big 12 as well with Colorado and Arizona and the status they are. But I I kind of think Mike's hitting the nail on the head here again. What do you think about what he had to say? Yeah, I definitely look, we're moving toward and we're already in a period of time where the dollars are starting to make all of the decisions, right? I mean, it just makes absolutely no sense for USC and Rutgers to be in the same conference. It's going to be. Um, I think a, a serious problem for some smaller sports, non-football, but we've gotten into a situation where football controls everything for everybody. So you, you're not really in a situation where you can say, okay, let's just have all of our normal conferences for the small sports. We'll do football for the big sports. So dollars are making all the decisions. All the dollars come from football. And no, I don't think it's unreasonable to think that in the future, we could be looking at a situation where the dollars uh, see fewer and fewer teams competing at the highest level because at some point, Carson, don't you think ESPN and Fox think to themselves, man, having Rutgers as part of these TV contracts, that is an anchor weighing us down. Having Vanderbilt as one of these these schools, that just weighs us down. And um, yeah, we could be moving to a situation where college football becomes no conferences, right? I mean, what is the Big 12 right now? 14 teams this year, could have been down to 10, and then it's going to 16. I don't know when we change the names of the conference. The only <laughs> actual name of a conference that is still relevant um, is the SEC. I, I guess maybe the ACC, but they've even still uh, ventured out some. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe uh, Mike Gundy talked about potentially an NFL-style uh, situation whenever he met with the press earlier this week where you might just have – a uh, bunch of teams, you know, everybody plays the same amount of conference games. You make it more regional, kind of like how in the NFL, they have divisions. You're in the, the, the NFC West, the AFC East. You play your division more times to help with travel, especially in those smaller schools, uh, smaller, smaller sports. And then you're able to uh, to let football do football's thing uh, and let everybody meet up in a big playoff type deal. So, um, yes, Mike Gundy has, has kind of been on the forefront. I think the only big picture college football thing he's been wrong about was the transfer portal calming down. He swung and missed on that one, but everything else he's been pretty insightful. So, uh, no, it wouldn't shock me at all. If the money in college football gets to a point where conferences just go away. And I'm not talking about next year, but in 20 years, do we think college football is going to look like what it looks like today? I don't because I, it, I certainly didn't think 20 years ago it would look like this. It's just going to keep evolving. Yeah, I, I certainly don't either. And, kind of illustrate your point they're going to be really at the behest of the tv networks gundy went on to say quote they called and wanted us to play on friday night i said who does they said tv i said i think that's great what about the high school football conflict i love high school football but the high schools ain't paying my bills so it it certainly appears mike gundy's with the times that you know the tv networks tell you to jump you ask how high and, and i think colby too that's why the big 10 wanted Oregon and Washington, in addition to USC and UCLA, because of what you just mentioned about Rutgers. 
when they're shopping windows and marquee games, there's a lot of dead weight in the Big Ten. I mean, I, I don't have to read off all the names in the Big Ten West. You, you read off them. Wisconsin was way down last year. I know they got a new coach. But when you're shopping windows and, and marquee matchups, there's a lot of dead weight in the Big Ten. And so, yeah, like that, that essentially, I think the TV networks are saying, look, we don't want to put Rutgers on TV. You better figure something out if you want to compete with the SEC, if you want a similar dollar figure. And I think that's why the the SEC also went out to get Oklahoma and Texas. I think they, the writing was on the wall for them too. We don't want Missouri and Vanderbilt to be one of our options for television. So I think that is going to just keep happening in different versions, kind of what Mike's referring to, to where these TV networks get a larger pool of games to choose from. And that's where, Colby, it is so imperative that OSU keeps winning the way they have. That is why they're in the position they are right now in the Big 12. Uh, and especially now you throw in, they don't have to deal with OU in Texas anymore. It is imp- is probably the most important time in the history of Oklahoma State to keep winning. Because these decisions by TV networks are going to be made on who watches whose games. And OSU's ratings have been very good because they've been very competitive. They win the Fiesta Bowl. And we, we know, all know what Mike Gundy's been able to do, and that's a testament to him. But it's it's uh, it's nut-cutting time for Oklahoma State, Colby. They, they have to keep winning. That's why this season, with all the question marks they have, you really hope OSU can figure, figure out this season and moving forward because these games, there's so much more on the line these games now, Colby, than wins and losses. It's, it's the financial stability of your university. No, you're absolutely right. And it's the reason I think people who've listened to the show for a few years know that I'm very hot and cold on Mike Gundy. There's some in-game stuff, some kicking stuff that sometimes he does. I would do the exact opposite. Uh, I've been critical of Mike Gundy at times when the, the Chuba stuff was going on as to, to how he interacted with his team and how much they were resonating with him as he gets older and, and the younger players are such a different um, pool of, of people these days. But I'll say this, as you get new information, your opinions change, and I am very much Team Mike Gundy as we sit here today because I'm looking big picture, Carson, and big picture, like you said, things are going to keep evolving, and Mike Gundy is just stability. He is so readily associated with the Oklahoma State brand. If Mike Gundy were to move on, if you were to to retire, if the university decided they wanted to move on, whatever the case may be, you don't know who comes in. And if it's some no-name that that you're pulling out of the group of five level that you're hoping can continue to ascend your program, what if that doesn't happen early? And now Oklahoma State is just kind of floating out in the ether with these other universities that we're looking at and we're like, hey, when this thing gets consolidated further, do they want us? Do Fox and ESPN want us? Because the brand of Mike Gundy is so associated with the brand of Oklahoma State football and the success that he's had on the field. Granted, it's been up. It's been down. Maybe the 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 highs have not come along as often as we would like them, but they've certainly been there. I, I think all of that coming together makes it to where as an Oklahoma State fan, yes, you, you might not love every decision Mike Gundy makes at all times, but all in all, this program, this athletic department, and this university, I think are in a better position for all of these big picture conversations with Mike Gundy at the helm. No, I, I certainly understand and agree with that. And it, it, it's remarkable too how little respect he still gets. Like I was looking it up. Uh, I think Barry Trammell had the numbers. I was reading an article about how the Big 12 can really kind of take hold of Pac-12 after dark now that they have so many mountain time zone and Pacific time zone schools. And in that article, it, 
it touched on something that I kind of put out there when, when Utah came aboard. It's really cool that Kyle Whittingham and Mike Gundy will now eventually play games against each other. They're the second and third longest tenured coaches in all of college football. I don't think people realize that about either of them uh, with one school. Uh, their their resumes are virtually identical. I mean, the, from conference championships to overall win-loss record, they are two future Hall of Famers. And every time I talk about that with Mike Gundy, you get somebody saying, oh, he's one and whatever against OU. He's two and whatever against Texas or OU. But like the people, that's that's the caliber of coach he is. He's a surefire Hall of Fame coach. And so is Kyle Whittingham, which will I think will be a big thorn in OSU's side moving forward. But I'm with you. I mean, the unknowns are way more scary. I, I certainly have confidence in in uh, Chad Weiberg and hiring a, su- a successful coach after Mike. He's proven that with the hires he's made since taking over. Uh, but no, I think Gundy stating he wants to coach a little longer certainly gives me a little, a lot more comfort knowing what's all knowing what everything that's changing so far in college football this year. Yeah, no doubt about it. He, uh, he's the guy at the, at the head. And again, I, I just think that he has had this shift in mindset. And I talked about this last week, you know, he admitted that he was wrong about the portal and that that's the world that we live in. Now you have to make the best out of it. Guys are going to go out. Guys are going to come in. I, I think he's much more saying all the things that you, that you want him to say uh, surrounding that. And he's just kind of been right about other things. So yeah, I, I feel good about Mike Gundy. I think his stock um, off the field anyway, is as high as it's been now in a while. Again, we know winning makes everybody feel better. Losing makes everybody feel worse. I think it's going to be a mixed bag in 2023, but off the field, Mike Gundy is at a point right now where I think he is just about saying all the right things. Yeah. I'm going to bring up a point where I think he's, he's learned something about the the transfer portal. I want to bring that up a little later, but in the meantime, the ACC is looking at expansion reportedly SMU emerges as a potential target anytime Colby anytime SMU gets thrown out it's just that that to me is the tipping point of schools that conferences should add when SMU is one of the top candidates it's over you shouldn't be adding any more schools but SMU Stanford Cal from the Pac-12 to the ACC you get the west coast to the all the way to the east coast it's just the ACC doesn't know what they're doing they're their TV deal is locked and loaded. It's locked in. They're not going to be able to change the grant of rights. Uh, but I feel even more comfortable, Colby, with where the Big 12 is when I see reports like this. Yeah, no doubt about it. That's just things get a little weird at that point. And if you're SMU, look, I get it. Posture, do what you can do. Try to get a seat at the table. There's just there's not a seat at the table for SMU. And and I don't know, again, the names of the conferences at this point are just a joke. I mean, nothing says Atlantic coast, uh, like Cal Stanford and, and Dallas, like <laughs> nothing says Atlantic coast, like those three schools. So it, it all comes down to the money. I don't see that coming to fruition. I just, there's too much logistically to make all that work for schools that don't do a lot for you. You're not going out and getting Oregon and Washington. You're getting Cal Stanford and SMU. You're not going out and getting OU and Texas. You're getting Cal Stanford and SMU. It, it doesn't make any sense, uh, I think, for the ACC to do that. I think the ACC has problems with uh, with its TV contract, with its schools wanting to go elsewhere. And as further so- further consolidation continues down the road, I think the ACC could have some serious problems. Because you talked about some of that dead weight in the Big Ten. Uh, the ACC has a whole bunch of dead weight of its own. Oh, no question. And, and I brought this point up last week about some of the remaining Pac-12 schools like a Stanford and Cal and and 
I mentioned Oregon State and Washington State, how I didn't feel bad for them just because they've had ample opportunity in a Power 5 school to to be good a good football program, and they haven't done it over the last 15, 20 years. But, and this is where, <laughs> this, this illustrates my point last week about these schools that they eventually joined the Big 12 that were dragging their feet, how it was fiscally irresponsible to not jump at the $31 million Brett Yormark was offering. Oregon State is just undergone has just underwent a $160 million renovate, renovation of their stadium. Oh my God. And the payouts for the WAC last year were $5 million. You're not getting the 20-ish million dollars you were getting from the Pac-12. You're not getting the 31 million the Big 12 was offering other schools. You're now stuck with that bill with who knows what. The whack payout at 5 million. This is why I was so terrified for Oklahoma State that you cannot recover from a 25 million dollar loss, which is essentially give or take what they're they're dealing with. And so <laughs> I still don't understand why the Pac-12 schools dragged their feet to jump at big uh, Brett Yormark's offer, but I'm sure glad they did. And that's that's what's on the line here. That's why, I mean, it's credit to Oklahoma State for for riding the ship with the Big 12. That's why you and I were packing our bags for the Pac-12 <laughs> two summers ago. Just we, we wanted that guaranteed payout, which it's all worked out. But for schools like Oregon State, Colby, it's it's dire. Yeah, it is dire. That's I didn't realize they had just put 160 million into their stadium. You said the payout in the whack was five million. I was doing the the, the math in my head. That's 32 years. Uh, 32 times five gets you to 160. That's uh, they've got to be feeling some type of way in Corvallis right now. And I don't even know. Then you're you're Oregon State and you're Washington State, and you see the Cal Stanford rumors, and it's like, man. Can we not have a little bit of, of support here? At least the four of us can stick together and merge with the Mountain West. It's just it's a bad situation to be in. Um, wow, no, I did not know they put $160 million into their stadium. They've got problems. They've got serious problems financially. And, again, you just – we were sitting here two years ago thinking, what if we're the ones – what if we're the odd school out? Um, very fortunate not to be. Very fortunate to have a, a stable place for the foreseeable future. And then as things – continue to consolidate beyond that we'll see what happens with oklahoma state yep it's uh it's pretty dire speaking of oklahoma state uh mike gundy said a lot this uh fall camp but the thing that's really jumped out to most folks is uh he's hinted that there could be a quarterback rotation uh alan bowman certainly has made a strong impression with his teammates building chemistry with receivers i think that says a lot about garrett rangel Uh, i know you're high on him colby do you uh do you buy this from mike gundy that he could potentially play more than one quarterback uh, no, no, I do not. Not even for a second. I, I think Garrett Rangel is, is a decent player. I think that he'll make a good backup to Alan Bowman. I personally will be shocked if there's any other scenario um, in the first few weeks of the season and beyond in which Alan Bowman is not pretty established as QB1. He just He's a veteran. They brought him in for this reason. I, I think Rangel has shown some things, but I think he also showed last year that he wasn't really quite ready. Um yeah, I, I don't buy this. I think that this is a um, a result of the era that we're living in, right? Transfer portal era. Everybody needs to feel like they're being given a chance to compete for the starting job um, every day because if not, they're going to go somewhere where they can. And I don't blame Mike Gundy for a second. Um, you know, I, I think some years it makes you look silly, like Lincoln Riley did it one year with Kyler and somebody and, and – he just looked dumb trying to convince us that there was a quarterback battle. 
I could be convinced that there's a battle between Bowman and Rangel, but I don't really buy it. I, I think it's a, uh, a byproduct of the portal era that we're living in, and I fully expect Alan Bowman to be QB1. This is where I think Mike Gundy's learned some lessons from the transfer portal. I mean, you 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 basically hit on what I was going to mention, was Lincoln Riley would wait until school started before naming a starting quarterback. I think Mike Gundy's learned from that. I think there's there's really no benefit to naming a starter today because all that does is tell the other quarterbacks on your roster that if you want to go play somewhere else, you can transfer before school starts. Um, so now I think that's I think that's exactly what's happening here. And and look, I've I was pretty I don't know meh is the word ho hum when Alan Bowman announced he was coming to Oklahoma State just based on uh, his injury history, the fact he hadn't played football in nearly three years. But you look at it, and Bill Haston had a really good article on on Alan Bowman this week in the Tulsa World. Everybody should go read it. He made a, a really salient point that Alan Bowman's the only quarterback in in uh, in FBS that has a 600 yard game under his belt passing. Wow! He threw for 605 yards and five touchdowns against Houston, his third game as a starter in college football. That's that's pretty impressive. Now he had some up and down games in there, threw seven interceptions. But the game he got hurt against Oklahoma, I was covering this game, ironically. At halftime, he had 227 yards and two touchdowns on 80% completion percentage before he was hurt against OU. He was lighting them up. And he appears to be healthy. Uh, he certainly has the experience. I'm, and I think I do this every August, Colby, I'm, I'm starting to get a little more bullish on Oklahoma State's outlook this year because I... I think you look at his weapons with Brennan Presley. Uh, Stribling's made a big impact in, in camp, we're hearing. Uh, also, Jaden Bray looks healthy and could be a big-time player. And obviously, it all comes down to the running game, Colby, but I'm I'm pretty bullish about what Alan Bowman will be able to do this year. Yeah, I am too. It's, it's You want to fight the urge to be swayed by every report you see of this guy's fast, this guy has a great connection with the quarterback, because... The reality is every beat writer for every team at every level is tweeting out all of those same things and, and reporting all of those same, same things about how fast guys are and how good the quarterback looks in, in spring training. Um, it's different whenever you get into the season. There's guys on the other side trying to knock you off. But I think one thing that's flying just a little bit under the radar maybe with Oklahoma State and potential success this season, you, you've been playing around Robin in the Big 12 for so long, and you're not playing around Robin anymore. You're, you're getting a few schools that aren't used to seeing you, and I think we've seen over time, Mike Gundy, I think, has had a lot of success uh, with schools that aren't used to what Oklahoma State does. You play the same nine schools every year for a decade. Everybody kind of gets used to what you're doing. Everybody has a plan for it. Everybody has seen it over and over and over again. This year, Oklahoma State gets all four newcomers. They get Cincinnati, UCF, Houston, and BYU. I think getting the newcomers and you get three of those, uh, those are four of your last five games are against the newcomers. So I think it could be a strong finish to the season for Oklahoma State if this team stays even remotely healthy because you're going to be playing against schools that just don't have that decade of experience knowing what you're doing uh, on both sides of the ball. It's, it's going to look different on both sides of the ball with the run game, offensively everything they've spoken about, an entirely new defense. So I am more bullish on Oklahoma State football now than I would have been six months ago. I, I still don't know that I'm going to have the guts to come out here and predict like nine and three because that would be uh, that would be pretty impressive. But I, I, I see myself falling somewhere at seven or eight depending on uh, depending on what happens in the close ones. Yeah, and I think 
it's so hard to project them with all the unknowns. And on the one hand, you want to give Mike Gundy the benefit of the doubt. And I think that's, you know, if you're thinking eight, nine, 10 wins, I think you, you're basically taking a blind bet on Mike Gundy figuring it out, which he typically does. Uh, to me, it's, we're going to just gonna have to wait and see on the running game. I think that's, it's no secret. That's, that's what's going to determine wins and losses this year. Have they figured out the running game with their new schemes with, with Ollie Gordon? Uh, can Casey Dunn figure it out in the red zone? Uh, those are, those are huge questions, but um, I think eight's the safe pick. I think nine's kind of the ceiling for this team, but we'll, we'll have to see. Uh, there was a really good article as well uh, from football scoop. They're doing kind of a series on the top 15 uh, coordinator hires, the 15 most impactful assistant coaching hires of 2023. And number 15 was Brian Nardo. A lot of this stuff we've read about him where the interview process with Mike Gundy, how long it was, he was his last interview and how much he nailed it. And just how the three, three, five, uh, is the defense he wanted to run and didn't really want to hire a, a DC to try to teach them the three, three, five, based on what they've seen against the likes of, of Iowa state. He wanted to bring in someone that specializes in it. And I'm, I'm really excited about it, Colby. I mean, you look at guys like Kendall Daniels, Lyric Rawls, those type of guys, those, those safety hybrid, uh, type players. That's what's given the big 12 a ton of issues the last couple of years on offense is those, those style defenses, those style players. And I mean, I don't know if they're going to be, you know, top three in the big 12 this year. I just think that style, and especially with their lack of defensive tackle recruiting they had over the years, I know Kirkland's going to be a big player for them this year at D tackle, but they just don't have the depth they used to have on the D line either. So coupled with that, I'm, uh, I, I think Mike Gundy, you know, I was, I was very, very critical of the Mike Yersich hire when it was made the first season looked like I was right, but he really evolved into one of the better offensive coordinators in the country, producing top five offenses in the country. I kind of think Mike's nailed it again here, Colby, because he's proven that it doesn't really matter what level you come from. You can, if you can coach, you can coach. And that's, that's what we're, we're seeing now at Texas tech too, with Joey McGuire coming from the high school ranks. So I'm, as, I'm I'm probably even more bullish on on uh, Brian Nardo than I am Alan Bowman, to be honest. Yeah, no, that's a that's a good call. I'm very excited to see just a new look defense. There were times uh, last year where this defense just, I mean, they looked like a a, a red sheet hanging out to the side of uh, the Matador as guys were running through the the Kansas State game, the Kansas game. There were injuries there. There were other things happening, but. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to see what this team looks like. I still worry a little bit about the defensive front. They, they've got size there, but they don't have experience there. So that's a little bit of a concern for me. I still think the loss of Jabbar Muhammad outside is a big deal. Obviously, you lose Mason Cobb. So I think that Brian Nardo certainly has some challenges that he's being presented with just from a year-over-year -year talent basis for Oklahoma State. But I mean, we've seen it time and time again. There's typically guys who are ready to step up and, and try to be that guy. Xavier Benson, Mike Gundy said he's been trying to take on more of a leadership role. I expect a big season from him. Um, Colin Oliver, we'll see what he looks like in his new role. I, I think that there are certainly some challenges for Brian Nardo, but I do think um, that, that if he has a good year one, and I think he could because this is not um, – this is not coming in last year after Jim Knowles had the greatest defensive season in Oklahoma State history. This is this is not that at all. This is a guy coming in with, I think, legitimate expectations, right? The expectations are not, let's go be a top five defense in the country. The expectations are, be a good defense. 
And I think Brian Nardo can accomplish that. And I'm excited to see what the new look D looks like. Yep. I agree. Um, his, his predecessors, Derek Mason, he, uh, is joining ESPN to work on uh, SEC network coverage. So he has resurfaced. And uh, I'm kind of surprised, Colby, we don't see more of this. You know, he's only in his early 50s with coaches now, with the year-long grind that it is. Surprised we don't see more coaches just retire and do TV. I guess Chris Peterson did that too recently as well. But it's, man, sign me up for working one day a week. I know there's more prep work that goes involved in that, but really <laughs> you're working one solid day a week for uh, probably a similar amount of salary. So good for Derek Mason. He's landing on his feet. Uh, yeah. Love that for him. That's a, that's a good gig. If you can get one of those commentator gigs where you're just posted up. Um, now granted they do. I think it's a common misconception that they work one day a week. They put a lot of work in, uh, so that they're great on that one day a week. Um, I'll, I'll watch some of his stuff and see what he sounds like. Maybe, uh, maybe he'll give us some inside sneak peek. Maybe he'll hit us with the, you know, last year when I was in Oklahoma State, we were doing this, this, this. Uh, maybe we'll get some of that content throughout the season. So I was kind of excited when I saw that news. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you ready for bullets and BBs? Uh, absolutely I am. I've, I've got a good bullet, but you can go first this week if you want to. I've been hogging the good ones lately. Yeah, my my bullet is going to go to uh, Chad Weiberg and Dr. Casey Shrum. The absolute charade that was the FSU Florida State Board of Trustees meeting where they basically, I don't know, cried, kicked, and screamed at the fact that they were in the ACC and really really kind of embarrassed their university, let's be honest. Uh, I think that says a lot about the professionalism of the leadership at Oklahoma State. They had to be feeling similar things when OU and Texas left. Uh, you know they did. And they've kept it above board. They've kept it professional, and it's worked out for them. I think uh, – I can't say enough good things about the leadership and where this university and and program athletic programs are are heading under their watch. I thought the stark difference in Florida State versus Oklahoma State was worthy of a bullet. Yeah, that's a good one. I like that. They've done an incredible job. Uh, I'm going off the beaten path here. Carson, my bullet is going to what I think was, for me, maybe the best piece of football content we've gotten in the offseason in a very long time. And that's the show Quarterback on Netflix. Have you been able to watch yet? Man, I'm I'm trying. I've watched like two episodes. I cannot stand Patrick Mahomes. This is a safe space really? to admit that. Really? Okay, yes. Let's let's have this out then because I loved this show start to finish. Uh, I just finished it last night. It's probably why it's on the front of my brain. So tell me you're a couple episodes in. Uh, what's driving you nuts about Patrick? I mean, he's... He's obviously an amazing player, probably the best player in the NFL. It's honestly not his fault that his voice is so grating, but it's more so his unit around him, his his wife. Uh, I don't know if Jackson makes any appearances on it, but more so it's like the first episode I watched, he gets into it with uh, Max Crosby, right? And he's like, doing his normal, like, hey, good hit, man. Good hit, good job, man. Good hit. And then he claims that Max Crosby punched him when really he just put a hand on him as he ran by him. And then he's, he scores a touchdown and then, like, gets in Max Crosby's face like he's going to fight him and then tells a completely different story to, the, to his family later on and people on the sideline. It, it reminded me of the kid in middle school who gets beat up and goes around the rest of school and telling everyone else that he beat the other kid up. That's kind of what it reminded me of. Uh, I just, I find him very annoying and he's obviously a great player and 
uh, just, I don't know. He's, he's not for me. And I know I'm, that's an unpopular take, but I'm just not a big fan. Kirk Cousins on the other hand, I love, I, I can't, I, I almost want to fast forward through the Mahomes parts and watch Kirk Cousins. Yeah, no, I, I get some of the things, uh, that you're saying. Jackson does not speak the entire series. He is in some of the shots, like when they're on Brittany, he's in the box and stuff at the stadium. Uh, but he doesn't speak. Uh, the, the Crosby incident was a little weird. It seemed like he was kind of poking Mahomes, and then he exploded. But for, for me, it's not even so much that. It's, it's the deeper look at what they go through every week on a week-by-week basis, studying the new offenses that are installed, the, the audio that you get, the NFL Films audio of these hits, I think we take for granted how hard these guys are getting hit over and over and over again. And some of the throws that they are making, I mean, I'm watching Kirk Cousins make some of these throws as he takes a shoulder to his already bruised ribs from a 320-pounder and just drop it in the basket 30 yards down the field. I'm just blown away by how hard it is to play that position um, what a business it is, you know, the, the Falcons go on their bye week and they wait until the next week to tell Marcus Mariota he's benched the day after his wife gives birth to their first daughter. Like seeing the inside of some of these things, Mahomes working with his his personal trainer away from the team three days a week, all the crazy stuff that they're doing, the stuff these guys do with their bodies to be ready to play every week. I'm just I'm fascinated by that position more than any other position in sports. There's a reason they make all the money. There's a reason they get all the credit. There's a reason they take all the blame. It's just, it's a fascinating position to me. And that look at it, uh, I thought was a great pullback of the curtain. So I was all in on quarterback and I I really hope that this is something that continues year in and year out. Yeah, I think, um, I think that's the appeal of the show. And I, I've always said it's the hardest position in sports. I think they made that point in the first episode why they get paid what they do and and you're right there's so much that goes on behind the scenes like like that was that was pretty cool too like Mahomes is trainer like he's like we want him to move as fast as possible that way when he's on the field it seems slow but that like, little intricacies like that are really cool and uh, Marcus Mariota's not very entertaining does he get any better on the show um not really yeah that's just kind of really. who he is I was uh, he may have been the one of the only ones willing to do it, I guess. But uh, BB, what do you got for BBs? Or should I go? Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, mine goes to Alex Kirshner, works for The Athletic. Uh, he said, a very bleak and funny consequence of the Big Ten's behavior and to an extent the Big 12's, but it's complicated, is that the SEC is going to now pitch itself as the down-home traditionalist league that didn't compromise on geography for TV money. Good job all. Does this clown not understand that the SEC started all this? And I'm not even talking about OU in Texas. I'm talking about before that. Taking A&M in Missouri. And then OU in Texas. Like, they kicked off all of this. I mean, it's, to blame the Big 12 and lump them in with the Big 10, what the Big 10 did, it's absurd. Big 12 is trying to survive. And this is just another case of the SEC can do no wrong, no bloods on their hands, when really they kicked off the entire conference realignment by taking A&M in Missouri. Yeah, I think I ter- I think I interpreted his tweet ever so slightly. I mean, there's there's room for interpretation here. I think he was uh, almost kind of making fun at of the SEC, saying that they're going to come out and talk about how they uh, they they weren't going to compromise for TV money on their geography, even though they're kind of the ones that started. So I interpreted it a little bit differently, but. Your, your larger point about the context of the conversation around conference realignment 
it it really is wild to watch uh, some people bend over backwards to try to explain some things or to try to, well, what if this happened and this happened and this happened? It's just, um, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see how these conversations continue to evolve because some people are going to make fools out of themselves in the context of the college football expansion conversation. <clears throat> Carson, I'm going to go uh, big picture here, macro. Um, the story on Phil Mickelson broke this morning and his gambling, and I just – I just want to give a BB to addiction. It's a very real thing that people deal with. And with somebody who's rich and famous um, and in general, not, not that popular right now, his, his Q rating's pretty low. Um, it can be easy to jump on people for things, things like this. And, and there are things that Phil should be criticized for, you know, if, if he bet on the right, a Ryder cup that he was playing in, obviously that's something that you can't do, but I think it also speaks to where he was at with his addiction at that time um, that the rush of the Ryder cup, itself wasn't enough he needed more action on that it's addiction is a very real thing um and just because somebody is is rich and famous and you know he has enough money to sustain that lifestyle addiction is a very real thing and and phil mickelson being a gambling addict is not the same thing uh as the plumber down the street being a gambling addict that that throws away everything um that that his family needs but um addiction in, in all forms is a bad thing. And I think that we should remember that whenever we talk about kind of sensitive issues like this. Yeah. That's a, that's a disturbing story. The amount of money he was gambling. And that's, yeah, that's nothing to, to joke about. That's uh, some serious, serious stuff that might even get him in, you know, some, some legal trouble. So crazy, crazy story. Anything else before we get out of here? Uh, don't believe so. We'll see what the, the new cycle looks like and we'll either be back early next week or in two weeks, Carson, I'm, I'm going up to Canada. We're going to spend some time in the mountains next week. Should be fun. Well, let's try to get one before you go and uh, enjoy the vacay before we really get into covering games. That'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, I can't wait. Football is right around the corner. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Have a great week. As always, go Pokes.